High resolution color graphics. This land of high technology. The revolution in technology that made the information age possible. Those kids are not afraid of computers. Welcome to This Week in Retro for the week of November 30th. Coming up on today's show... Are you an invert? Sit down, outrun, comes home. Driver 2 goes in reverse. And 8-bit unity. All this and more on This Week in Retro. Up-to-date news. For out-of-date tech. John, what I think sets our podcast apart is that we're not scared to tackle the big questions in life. And for a gamer, questions don't get bigger than the question raised in an article on the Guardian website submitted by Paul, a.k.a. Hermsky. And that question is, do you invert your controls? (laughs) Are you an invert or are you a normal human being, John? Which is it? (laughs) You know, Neil, I'm what you call one of those gamers that never really made the journey into 3D. Uh, I never really got into first-person shooters. Uh, I do recall when I went through my first-person binge on the N64 with GoldenEye, uh, my controls were inverted. Uh, Hermski himself said it best on our Discord. He said, uh, when you lean back your head to look up, it's the same action as leaning back on the joystick. And I never thought about it that way, but that's that's sort of the way that, that I went with with GoldenEye. Of course, you know, Neil, I'm, I'm no Philistine. I always invert my controls <laughs> when playing Flight Sims. So there's nothing else that you can do. And of course, by Flight Sims, I mean Blue Max. How about you, Neil? <laughs> um, I am not an invert. I've, I've I've tried many, many times. It works for flight sims, of course. It just doesn't feel right in any other situation for me. Uh, but the article in The Guardian, it reads the following. It reads, the purpose of the article was to discover reasons for this dictomy in visual perception. Was axis inversion just a habit picked up from playing flight simulators, or did it point to fundamental differences in how people perceive themselves in virtual worlds? There was no conclusion, uh, but the argument raged on Twitter for days, <laughs> which comes as no surprise, really. No surprise, to, yeah. An argument on Twitter, never. Uh, and I'm sure, actually, our listeners will be divided in their opinions also. A while back, I tweeted out um, a survey on exactly this topic to see how people used it, and it, it came back with pretty much a 50-50 split. I was really surprised by how many inverts there are out there. But um, all joking aside, there are some very real benefits to studying this in more detail. And that's where Dr. Jennifer Corbett and Dr. Yap Monique come in. They're using their backgrounds in vision science and cognitive neuroscience to study gamers and the current situation in the world being what it is, these unprecedented times, John. It, It makes for a perfect time for this kind of study because tests can be conducted remotely. Participants can be using their laptops or their computers with a gamepad. So, you know, what else are you going to do during a pandemic? Uh, I don't know. Invent a vaccine, maybe? <laughs> well, maybe that, maybe that. But, uh, you know, this would be a close second place video games. So uh, <laughs> it will be interesting to hear what comes out of the study. But the doctors are hoping to make advances in visual perception. So and also having a new understanding in sensory input, which could mean anything from the better placement of information, where we might take more notice of it the design of baggage scanners and how they might alert the operator better to suspicious items. There's there's all sorts of um, applications to what might come out of this. Um, So it'd be great to see if there are some valuable improvements in our interactions between our real and our virtual spaces through gamers. So yeah, I hope the study goes well. Yeah. and, And I noticed in the article, you can actually register and be part of the study. Yes. Yeah. Dr. Corbett includes an email address at the end of the article. So for anyone who wants to participate in the trial, inverted or regular um you know you you can go to that article and you can use the uh 
the email address at the end there. What would you actually call a regular? Because inverted to someone who uses inverted controls is regular. <laughs> what would we call this? <laughs> oh, geez, Neil, I have no idea. My mind is already mush from this discussion. I'm already, <laughs> I'm already confused. I leave it to the geniuses of the world, like Dr. Corbett, to just tell me what's normal and what's not. Uh, I have a feeling that this 3D gaming thing is a fad anyway, Neil. <laughs> it won't be long before everybody wises up and we'll be back to playing Centipede and Donkey Kong and silly things like depth perception and video games will have just faded into the mists of time. It all, it all peaked at pack man anyway we saw that in last week's revenue charts on that That's article true. So. yeah <laughs> <laughs> well what do we, what we do know is that no amount of scientific studies will end the argument over which is correct for gaming but uh, go and check the article and even better submit your body to science for the benefit of all mankind neil Last week, during our weekly mini-discussion, uh, you wondered how long it would be until we saw our first sit-down racer in mini-form come down the pike. Well, the wait is over. Thanks to subreddit use at Pajaco6502, I can inform you that Arcade 1UP, most famous for its recreations of classic arcade machines, shrunk down to fit you know modern, smallish game rooms, has introduced its first cockpit-style racing game. And it's one of your favorites, Neil. Outrun is here, and you can take it home for 500 bucks. Is this going to make it into the new cave? Well, I mean, on the face of it, 500 bucks for Outrun sounds incredible. But um, yes. where do I start with this thing? Um, <laughs> let's just think about the original Outrun as our base for comparison. And whether you favor the stand-up or the sit-down version of the cabinet, I, I think it's absolutely glorious. You've got that lovely sporty steering wheel. You've got the gear shift that you can slam up and down. The sit-down version has that semi-enclosed cockpit around the screen marquee and the speakers behind your head, so that really sucks you into the game. And, of course, there's also the hydraulic version that throws you around. Mm -hmm. And the game itself is a beautiful experience. Even before I was tall enough to play Outrun in an arcade, I was mesmerized by it, and, and I would absolutely love to have an Outrun cabinet in my collection. This cabinet from Arcade 1UP, is not it. <laughs> this is going nowhere near my collection, and I'll tell you why. Uh, what you have here is two variants. You have the upright and the cockpit version of the cabinet from them. The upright cabinet, well, it's got the proportions wrong for a start as I look at it. Perhaps it's smaller than the original, um, so the angle between you and the screen is different. I don't know, but the result of the changes they've made is that the lovely lines of the original cabinet, they're all wrong. It even looks a, a little bit narrow to me. It's mm. very odd. The screen is, of course, a modern flat screen, but it makes no attempt to look otherwise. It's just in-your-face flat screen rather than set back behind some glass to maybe give right. it the illusion it's a CRT, make it look a bit more authentic. And I remember in that original cab, you had quite a deep and distinctive silver monitor bezel, a big plastic thing that, that goes around the screen. There's no attempt to replicate that whatsoever. It's just flat screen in your face. Then there's the steering wheel. And I can't work out from the pictures if the wheel is huge or if it just looks huge because the cabinet is small, but <laughs> it just doesn't look right. It doesn't look right at all. The wheel is sat on a completely flat control panel with some stickers on, some Speedo stickers. Uh, again, all of the silver surround that was on the original to give it some depth and texture and, and class even, that's all gone. Um, it's just completely flat. And then there's the gear stick. What is that gear stick? It's it, it's a replica gear stick from an arcade racing game, sure, but it's not Outrun. That's a Chase HQ gear stick. You know, it's a T-shaped gear stick with the turbo button on the side. Mm. Why is that there? Who puts <laughs> a Chase HQ stick 
on a cabinet and sells it as outrun. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm feeling quite passionate about this, John. If <laughs> you can already tell, the You're pedals, fired up, Neil. the pedals look like the cheapest USB racing pedals you've ever seen. And then the real kicker to complete the look, John, you've got this cabinet, and I'm not going to mince my words because this is sacrilege. I love outrun. You've got this abysmal outrun cabinet. And then to make it a full sit-down cockpit experience, what you get, I can only describe as a child's bed. <laughs> you know, you know, you could buy themed beds for a kid, like for an eight-year-old mm-hmm. oh, yeah. with their favorite cartoon on the side. What you have is an outrun themed bed for an eight-year-old that you're expected to slide in front of this ugly cabinet that's now caught sight of itself in a mirror and it's crying, John. The cabinet, <laughs> it's seen how ugly it is. It's making a magical sound shower of its own tears on the floor. So you've got to mop the floor up first. And then you can push this child's bed in front of it. Um, and that's it. That's your $500 outrun cabinet experience, a child's bed in front of a cabinet that's managed to extract every ounce of cool out of the coolest arcade game ever made. And it hasn't happened by accident. To make outrun uncool has taken some real hard work and someone very special to achieve it. <laughs> I really hate being negative about anything retro, but there are some things that are really sacred to me. And, and outrun, as you can tell, is definitely one of them. And if you're going to try and make a replica outrun cabinet, please do it justice. Give the old girl some respect. Give the players some respect by factoring in some of the details of the original and not just a few stickers on there. You know, uh, I'm out of words, John. I bet you're glad you asked me now. <laughs> were, were you an outrun fan? Well, you know, Neil, I'm a young man, Neil, relatively speaking. Uh, I, I came of age in the arcades after this particular generation of racing games. You know, I, I consider the timeline of racing games, you, you've got Super Sprint, you know, late 70s, early 80s, and mm-hmm. then you've got Pole Position, and then you've got OutRun. OutRun is sort of, you know, mid to late 80s. When I was growing up, uh, what I saw in the arcade was the, the next generation past this, the virtual racing, Daytona USA, Cruising USA, all of these types of games. You know, it's funny, two of those three games, the biggest, you know, arcade racers of, say, the, the early 90s, they have USA in their titles. What's the deal with that? <laughs> Why did we never get Cruising Slough? We did get M25 Racers, but that wasn't in the arcades. That was a PC game. So you could get as close as Junction 4 on the M25 to Slough. But not not quite into slough for your racing. <laughs> <laughs> but at any rate, Outrun was a discovery I made through the fantastic Genesis port and then later through MAME emulation. And man, what a game. Uh, I remember reading an interview with its creator, and he took pains not to call it a racing game at all. He calls it a driving game, you know, or a driving simulator. And I really think there is a difference. You know, an Outrun, instead of, you know, it being a race with a divine beginning and end and laps and things, uh, and you're just driving along. You know, you're driving along, you're going real fast, which is what everybody wants in a racing game. But you also get a chance to take in the various types of scenery. You know, you, who can forget those sailboats in, in the first level? Uh, I really think games like Lotus two on the Amiga have more in common with OutRun than, say, Pole Position. Yeah, yeah. there's a fabulous backstory to the creation of OutRun and how the designer toured Europe and just took in all the sights and sounds uh, and really tried to channel his experience into the game rather than creating you know, an objective-driven game. Um, yeah, it, it, it all shows and shines through in the game, I think. Yeah, yeah. So getting into the arcade one-up version, I mean, I don't know. It does look pretty cheap. Uh, I like the fact that the bench does slide in and out, so it accommodates players of various heights. The and, you know, 
That's <laughs> true. Yes. Uh, and, and let's not kid ourselves. You know, the original OutRun sit-down machine wasn't exactly the most realistic driving cockpit ever. Um, I would have liked to have seen them, you know, incorporate a shifter that did reflect the original game and not chase HQ. I, I do agree with you that that is a bizarre choice. Uh, and I also would have liked to have seen the shifter on the child's bed unit itself, you know, on the on the on the on the bench, just like in the arcade game. Plus, when you're driving a car, you know, that's that's part of the experience of, of a great arcade machine is that you've got that sitting right next to you. And it does add to the immersion. Um, of course, I know why they didn't do most of the things that you're complaining about. And that's because part of the reason they can sell these so cheaply is because you can flat pack these machines down into a very small package. You know, everything has to sit right on top of each other. And, um, you know, it's you've got to make all these cabinets look somewhat bland and generic. Yeah, because yeah, of the way. I, I think I do have to make some concessions. But my thing is that they've sold this as an outrun cabinet. I mean, no doubt that you can stand in front of this and have a good arcade driving game experience with it. It's just that outrun connection that that gets to me. <laughs> sure, sure. And, and I think that with a few design choices, they could have made the body look more distinct. You know, you could you could approach the look of the original cabinet with just a few, you know, uh, you know, cuts into that into that fiberboard that they make these things out of. The just as an example, the Burger Time cabinet that they've they've made looks really fantastic because it has the outline of the chef there on the side, and they've cut it out to make that distinct, just like the original cabinet. But at any rate, uh, you know, we're both in the minority apparently when it comes to this machine. I just checked arcade one up site and they are completely sold out oh, Neil, can wow. you believe that <laughs> unbelievable the, the demand for these things of course it is the holiday season you know parents are looking for something something neat for their game room something that they can buy quote unquote for the kids which we, we really know means for them uh now, if you did happen to get one of these, uh, or if you want to give us your take on the design, drop us a message on our show subreddit. John, when we want to go back and play a game from a system of old that we don't own, the first instinct really is to reach for an emulator, or at least it is for me, probably you too, I'm sure. And why not? I've been using MAME since its inception in 1996. I was emulating the Neo Geo on the family TV when the family TV was still a CRT. You know, the maturity of the emulation of our favorite video game systems really is something to behold. But there is another way, as Dangalus shares with us this week, uh, and he does give a disclaimer. Dan has shared his own YouTube video as a news story on our subreddit. Is that shameless self-promotion, John? <laughs> <laughs> Neil, I would never use this show as a platform for self-promotion. Oh, no. That said, if you're an Amiga fan, check out Amigos, Everything Amiga, the best podcast that's been going on since 2015. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> Feel free to self-promote the heck out of whatever retro stuff you want on our subreddit. We love it. We love yeah. it, Neil. Good news is good news. And, and I'm glad he shared this story because his channel, Retro Recollections, is one that I've followed for a long time now. And it's well worth a look because he covers things like this story. And what this is, is the game Driver 2 for the PlayStation 2. But instead of emulating it on a PC, the project, which is named ReDriver 2, has reverse engineered the entire game and recompiled it to run natively on the PC. Now, surprisingly, Driver 2 was never released on the PC, despite the first game in the series doing so. And the first game is one that I really enjoyed on my PC. How about you, John? Were you a fan of the series? 
you know, this is one of those series that I never touched. Uh, this game was one of those late 90s, early 2000s releases where I was really into collecting for, you know, retro systems. And I this is when I had first discovered that there was a whole community online of people that were into collecting old games. And nothing that was coming out in this period really got me excited. You know, this is that late PS1 period. Um, it really wasn't until I saw uh, the Star Wars game or Super Monkey Ball on the GameCube that I really got got pulled back into the second, you know, that that generation of games. And then I got a PS2 and all this stuff. Uh, the only thing I recall about the Driver series is that the third installment uh, replaced the E with a three on the logo. You know, <laughs> you don't get any cooler than that, Neil. <laughs> and it was a 3D game, so you probably weren't interested, John. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> okay, well, the first Driver really was a cool game. And what it gave you was a big American car that handled like a boat and a funky slap bass soundtrack. And you, and you acted like a getaway driver in a way that really captured the feel of the old movies. You know, it felt really cool to play in the same way that um, Interstate 76 felt cool. If you ever played mm -hmm. that game. Yeah, I've uh, seen that one. Very similar feel. But Driver 2 never got a PC version, and that wasn't due to any kind of exclusivity deal with Sony. It just seems that Infograms who released it were short on cash and resources towards the end of the 90s, so they just didn't make it for the PC. And we didn't get it, but we did get the third in the series that you mentioned there in 2004. So there's this gaping hole in the franchise for PC owners. And now that void is filled by ReDriver 2 because they've created a PC-native engine. And as Dan demonstrates in his video... You do need a copy of the Driver 2 CD or, or, mm -hmm. or a legal ISO in your possession. From legal which it, ISOs, Neil, they're just all over the place. <laughs> and what it does is it, it takes the assets from the CD and then gives you a PC native version of the game. And the experience looks as good as I think you can expect it to. The resolution is scaled up. The anti-aliasing is great. Of course, the frame rate is silky smooth because by modern standards, this is a very low polygon game. And at times, it does look a little bit like a city made of propped up wooden shop fronts, which are, are very flat. But it is Driver 2 on a PC, reverse engineered, which is no small technical achievement. The team's GitHub page says that they intend to further improve upon the game by removing any bugs and in, the, in, in their own words, implementing various cool stuff. <laughs> I love cool stuff. <laughs> I like cool stuff too. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how it evolves. And if it gets to a point perhaps where they start introducing more complex models or scenery, I don't know. I guess once you have that working engine, you're in total control of what you do with it and what happens next in, in a way that emulation just doesn't offer you. So mm -hmm. it will be interesting to see. And this isn't the first example of such a thing. One of my favorite projects is called Exalt, which is an engine that lets you play Ultima 7 on a modern device. So if you've never played Ultima 7, you've got no excuse not to do so. And it does a really great job of scaling up the graphics and making it more playable today. So John, uh, are there any games that you'd like to see reverse engineered like this or does emulation tick the boxes for you? Well, if you're one of these uh, people that is a legal stickler in terms of the gray area that is emulation, particularly if you uh, if you don't already own the game, uh, I think that this could be a way that you could play, you know, a an upgraded version of the game using the original disc, you know, completely legally. Uh, so for those types of people, I think that this is a good solution. However. Uh, if you are a person that thinks, you know, PS1 games that aren't, you know, commercially available are fair game, uh, I think 
and I'm not for sure about this, but I think that modern PlayStation emulators do a lot of this, you know, upscaling and, you know, retexturing mm -hmm. on the fly, and they do a pretty good job of it. So uh, this is one of the things where I wonder if the effort is is really worth the result. You know, is this what we want to spend our time on doing as a gaming community? Now, obviously, there are people that feel very passionately about this series, and, and they've put all this work into it. So I don't want to downplay their efforts. But to me, this is a different thing than the 8-bit Unity story that we're going to talk about you know later on in the show because when you get into this era of gaming you're not going to see much graphical difference between driver 2 on the playstation and driver 2 on the pc uh, it's it's a much different deal than a classic 8-bit micro game reverse engineered and ported to another system where the quirks and oddities of each system will make the games have a character all their own yeah, I mean, I don't think we should ask too much why this thing exists because sure. as a programmer, it's probably a nice technical exercise to figure yeah, out. Yeah, you absolutely. Know, quite a difficult one. It's almost like being a, a journeyman, I don't know, woodworker and going to see how someone else does their work and reverse mm -hmm. engineering it and, and becoming an expert in the trade yourself. So uh, yeah, yeah, I think it's a technical effort that should be applauded. It's a great way to learn your craft. And um, yeah, I would encourage you to check it out, Redriver 2. And thank you to Dan and his channel, Retro Recollections, for sharing it on our subreddit. Neil, the long wait is finally over. After months and months of sitting on the edge of your seat, hitting the refresh button for your tracking info, the package you've been longing for has just arrived. The ZX Spectrum Next. It's everything you ever wanted in a retro computer made modern, except for one thing. Where's the networking? Where's the Wi-Fi? Well, I've got the solution for you. The ZX Spectrum Next Wi-Fi module available today from RetroBench.com. <laughs> That's right, John. This piece of kit is small, but it packs a big punch. And as a ZX Spectrum Next backer myself, it's definitely something I want. Uh, unlike other, other solutions, the Wi-Fi module available through RetroBench uh, requires no firmware updates to get you going. You just plug it in. And you go. In addition to the Wi-Fi module for the next, RetroBench stocks a selection of recap kits for the Amiga, C64, and Atari Jaguar, and ready-to-play Mr. FPGA setups. Thank you to RetroBench for sponsoring This Week in Retro. Neil, as a diehard fan of the Atari 8-bit line of computers, sometimes I feel a little bit slighted. Uh, not because the C64 has better sound, not because the Apple II's secondary market is now firmly in used car territory, <laughs> but... It's because sometimes the 400-800 XL, XE, all those machines are often left out of the most exciting game releases. When I see, just as an example, the sheer number of games being released every month for the C64, it sometimes makes me wish my dad had brought home one of those in 1986 instead of the venerable Atari 1200 XL that sits next to me right now. But thanks to a story shared on our subreddit by Rob O'Hara, Host of the fantastic Sprite Castle podcast, the days of feeling left out in the cold may be over. John, don't you slight your your first love. You be true and loyal to that Atari 1200. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and of course, you know exactly how cold it is to be left out in the cold because your Atari XL is now giving you live weather reports, as we learned last week. That's right. The FujiNet cartridge is humming <laughs> along uh, just fine. So I want to talk to you, Neil, about 8-bit Unity. Okay. Now, at first, when I when I started reading this story, I was like, "Oh my gosh, I'm never going to be able to talk about this." But I think that I've got a handle on it, and if I'm <laughs> wrong, then please please correct me. Um, so, 8-bit Unity is a cross-platform SDK for 8-bit computers, which allows game developers to deploy their creations across the entire 8-bit line. 
So as you know, Neil, most 8-bit computers were powered by the mighty 6502 CPU, but that's where the similarities stop. Uh, each of the computers has custom graphics and sound chips that complicate developing cross-platform titles. What Unity does is through its API, it allows code to be written once through the Unity framework and then decoded in an optimal way for each unit's proprietary chips. It sounds pretty cool. Now, Neil, I'm going to put you on the spot. What is one game for the Atari 8-bits, the C64, or the Apple II that you would like to see ported to another 8-bit system? Oh, good question. And I should point out that for us, it was the Z80 CPU over here. It wasn't all about the 6582. I know. I got to get the Spectrum in there. <laughs> got to get it in there. And the Amstrad and all the others. But uh, uh, in terms of a game that should be ported, um, I don't know if you've ever played a game called Space Taxi. Yes. Uh, yes, yeah. I love Space Taxi. I don't think you've got it on the Atari 8-bits or the Apple II. Correct me mm -hmm. if I'm wrong. I don't think so. And yeah, so it's it's an incredibly simple but addictive game, and I played it on the C64. It kind of combines the physics of Lunar Lander with a taxi service, a bit like Crazy mm -hmm. Taxi on the Moon, if you like. And it's incredibly playable to this day. So Space Taxi would be my choice to port to those other systems. That's a great choice, Neil. I love Space Taxi. Um, as a kid growing up, I loved going over to my friend Josh's house, and he had King's Quest on his PC. Uh, at the time, I was totally amazed by this game, because on the Atari, we were stuck with text adventures like Zork, or if we were really lucky, you'd get a static image on top of some text like The Hobbit for the ZX yeah. Spectrum or something like that. So um, now... I could understand the C64 getting a port of the game since it could obviously handle it with no issues. It sold, you know, there were a billion C64s out there. But when I read that the ancient creaking Apple II had a version, Neil, uh, I realized that once again, the Atari had been left out to dry. There's nothing that makes me more angry when the when I see, you know, this the Apple II, it's a fine machine, but you know, it's it's clearly, you know, it's 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 got an older architecture than the other eight bit micros because it is it's an older machine. So there's no reason why the Atari line of computers shouldn't have gotten a port of, of this title. So I'm hopeful that someone can reverse engineer the code of the C sixty four version, run it through Unity, and boom. I'm playing this thing on my 1200XL through the FujiNet. So come on, smart people. Come on, coders. Make it happen. Surely this 8-bit Unity program means you can do it yourself, John. Come on. Isn't is 2020 the year of learning new languages and skills and making the most of our free time? This is, this is your chance. You're right, Neil. Maybe I'll make that one of my, you know, 2021 New Start New Year goals is is to just, you know, uh, recompile King's Quest for the Atari 8-bit line of computers. Stay there tuned. Make it happen. <laughs> Thanks for listening to This Week in Retro. Join our show subreddit to contribute your favorite news stories. And if you really enjoy our show, then visit coffee.com forward slash This Week in Retro. That's ko-fi.com forward slash This Week in Retro to put a tip in the jar. Help us spread the word about the show by telling a friend, leaving us a review on your podcatcher of choice, and subscribing to the This Week in Retro YouTube channel. We'll see you next week for more up-to-date news for out-of-date tech.